Kia ora, and welcome to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast, brought to you by CoreLogic, produced by Agents TV for the 23rd of May, 2022. I'm Head of Research, Nick Goodall, and I'm joined by our Chief Economist, Calvin Davidson, down in Christchurch. Calvin, how you going, mate? How was your weekend? Pretty good. I was on my own. My wife was away on holiday down in Tekapo, so um, brownie points for me. Uh, it was pretty busy, you know, but kids are getting a bit older. It's getting that little bit easier. I mean, they're not old by any means, still pretty young, but it's, it just gets a little bit easier and you know, everything's just a bit more straightforward. There's still arguments, but um, a bit more straightforward. So it was cool. Quiet evenings, you know, watch some sports. So uh, yeah, a bit of balance there too. How about you? Yeah, nice one, mate. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, all good, mate. We had actually my son's fifth birthday today. Um, so that's a pretty exciting day for him. And, and Karina's taken the day off to, to hang with him before he starts school tomorrow. But we had his party yesterday. So a few wee friends over. And um, yeah, just massively spoiled. Obviously, fifth is a big birthday. So lots of presents from, you know, all around the country, to all our family members and, and friends and stuff that came over. So he's been very spoiled and uh, and really enjoyed himself. But no, it was a good weekend otherwise. And um, yeah, just as, as you sort of say, you know, had our own sport, uh, watched a bit of watched a bit of sport on TV as well. Um, and yeah, no, it's all, all good, mate. So yeah, pretty keen to kick into things. Good to hear that you managed things all right. Hopefully it wasn't just all, you know, business stuff for you on the weekend. You got to have some fun with the kids too. Um, you know, that's one good thing is it's one person's choice as to what you guys do. So hopefully you got to do that as well. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah, and um, you know, I think we've talked about it before. Uh, uh, parenting podcasts rather than property, but you know, kids are sometimes easier with, when there's only one parent. I don't know; they seem to understand, and and you know, don't play up as much, which is a bit annoying that they just start doing it again when there's two parents. But um, you know, <laughs> swings and roundabouts. But uh, yeah, happy birthday to Fergus, and gee, two at school starting tomorrow. Yeah, pretty crazy times earlier. I think there's yeah, we got two two school aged children, and then uh, one more to come. But she's a bit off yet, so. Uh, but now nah, Fergus is very ready, so we're excited to see how he goes. But uh, let's get into it, mate. There is plenty to cover off today. And um, the first thing I want to start off with, I know that it went to media today, although I know that some media got a bit of an, an embargo released late last week, so they could cover it early this morning. The pain and gain report for Q1, so resales resales of properties um, in Q1 this year, and obviously the profit and, and loss that might have been made on those sales. Do you want to run us through the high-level figures from the report, Calvin? And I know you've done some well, quite a bit of media already, and maybe just cover off where the focus has been and, and sort of what your high-level um, take is on what it means for the market too, which is, of course, a key reason we put this report together. Yep, yep. So I suppose the I mean the media work has been directed the way I wanted it to go, you know, pretty much what are your key points? And and so I tell them my key points and, and that's that's really been it. But so I mean the, the gains here are still high, no doubt about that. They're still made on most occasions. So still about 99% of resales are for a gross profit. So the sale price is higher than what they originally paid. And the median resale gain is it's around that sort of 406,000 mark. So it's still very high. Uh, and, and I suppose no surprises because a whole period is a big factor here. If you've owned for seven or eight or 50 years, well, of course, you're going to sell for a price higher than what you paid. So I suppose in some ways, these figures have a tendency to be a little slower moving, I guess. Um, they have been pretty good at showing sort of turning points and peaks and troughs in the past, but there is that tendency to, to be perhaps a little slower moving. So that's one factor. 
Also pointing out that, you know, if you look from the outside in and say, well, gee, $400,000 profit, that's that's such a huge cash windfall. Well, maybe for investors it, it can be, but owner-occupiers, of course, have to buy another house. And unless they're downsizing or moving to a cheaper location, you're pretty much just putting that equity straight back into the next place and maybe taking on more debt too if, if you're trying to get a bigger house or a you know, posher neighbourhood. So, you know, there's a, there's a few caveats there. Um, but the numbers have turned a little bit. The, the gain last quarter was higher. The profit uh, share or frequency of profits was a bit higher too. So I think we are seeing a turning point consistent with higher interest rates, tighter credit, all of these things we know in the wider market. Uh, it's just that you know, perhaps they um, take a little bit longer to, to really clearly flow through the pain and gain. So um, definitely still high, but turning points here. And, and that's what the, the sort of media focus has been on. Yeah, yeah, nice one. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably got to be the key there, and I think that's it, right? Like when you, and I think this is why there's, you know, why it's easy to kind of put a relatively positive spin on what's happening right now in the in the broader market. You know, if you've been in the market for long term, as you say, you still many owners are very in a very good position. You know, you still will make a profit over that long period. Um, you know, because market moves so much up in that last couple of years. So you don't hold for that long to have seen strong growth. It's just that you need to accept that prices aren't where they were six or nine months ago. But unless you were thinking of selling at that time, you know, does it really matter? Yeah, okay, you might have missed the peak of the market, so you couldn't make the most money. But again, like you say, if you're not cashing out or you're an investor or whatever, like it doesn't really matter. You really look at the fact that, yeah, you bought for, you know, whatever it is, 10 years ago or something, you sell now, certainly selling for more than what you paid for. And that's what's reflected in, in this report. So I, I think that's that's got to be the key thing. And I think that's why, you know, there's not a significant panic from us when we talk about what's happening in the market right now, of course. Many, most people have been in for a long period of time and they're sitting in a much better position today than they were a couple of years ago. Of course, for some, those that bought recently, those that paid at those higher prices, they are going to be a little bit more nervous as they come to refix mortgages and whatnot. So we need to accept that's true too. And of course, the other side of it, which is anyone that did buy uh, you know, in November last year, let's say right at the peak, October, November last year, maybe you held on to your previous property with the intention of selling it. And then you're bridging finance and you need to sell that old property for a certain level to make the finances work for the next one. Of course, there's going to be some people in that situation who are feeling the strain a little bit when you can't get that price that you need or want um, on that old property. So, of course, there's going to be situations like that. I wouldn't expect that to be the majority by any means, um, but there's going to be situations out there where those people and they're feeling a, bit, a little bit caught short because of that timing difference. And that's that's really the key point there because there'll be some people that might have sold in November and, and hadn't quite bought and they'll be, you know, better placed essentially um, right now if they're going through that point, that period as well. And they can actually, you know, as we've talked about being a biased market, take a little bit longer um, and buy the property you want as well, as long as you, as long as that seller's willing to negotiate. So I think there's a flip side of both of those, those things, but certainly interesting to see, um, you know, what, other, what else comes of the, the media coverage um, certainly, that was you know my main take. I think I just chucked it up on Twitter this morning in terms of you know what I think it reflects in the market. So yeah, always an interesting report. Um, I do think there's signs of as you say the turning, which we know is already there. Um, but I think it does paint a you know a slightly more positive picture. And when you put that longer term context on it, I think that's natural. Um, so yeah, really interesting. Anyway. Yep. Yeah. And people need to, I guess you just need to be careful about what you're talking about when you say, oh, I'm losing money. You know, there's a sense that, you know, yes, people selling now might get less than what they would have got three or six months ago, but 
like you say, if you've held for a decade, well, you can hardly say you're losing money. You, you, you're getting a lot more than what you paid. And um, you've, you've just got to, if you think about the market falling, well, actually, you might be making money if you pick up a bargain. You, that next place you want to move into might have fallen more and actually you find yourself better off in a, in a, in a downswing. So, um, yeah, there's, 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 there's lots. So there's just some care required around, um, you know, what you truly mean by losing money. So, um, yeah, interesting stats. And it's a different take on the market. You know, nobody else does it. And it's, it's just that little bit, of a, little bit of a change on things. It's not just simply where prices are compared to where they've been. It's actual sales and, and you know, how that gross profit looks. So, um, yeah, see how it comes out. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other side of it, I think, and maybe, you know, one of the other data points, I suppose, which kind of backs this up, is something that you wrote in your article last week where you sort of said that, you know, did, did you know, the, the article of did you know, and, and a few maybe misunderstood things in the market, things that I think you and I talk about relatively regularly, but sometimes aren't given the coverage in the media. And I think, you know, one of those is, of course, the total loan-to-value ratio for the whole market is actually quite low. So when you look at the total value of all property, and then you look at the total dollar amount of mortgage mortgages out there, the overall LVR of everyone is about 19%. Now, when you think about, of course, anyone that's just buying recently, you're generally buying with an 80% LVR with a 20% deposit, but the overall is only 19%, so it's flipped around the other way. And I think it just shows how much equity is out there. All these people who have very little or no mortgage because they've paid it down and they haven't gone and extended it or they haven't gone and bought another property or you know whatever it is but there's so many people in that situation as opposed to as i say those recent market entrants which are going to be you know debted to the to the gunnels um, but i think that stat really puts that in context as well and i think it's probably a similar story to this pain and game one you know it's all these people who you do hold for 10 15 20 years and over that period, of course, you make a significant profit. It depends what you do with that money in the meantime, or are you just getting more debt and you know spending elsewhere, whatever it is, you know, buying a fancy car or a boat. So, you know, of course, there's lots of nuance in there, but I just thought that stat from the article you wrote last week was another good one to sort of reinforce that overall position of the market. I'm not trying to put an overly positive spin on what's going on right now. I think we need to acknowledge the fact that the market is continuing to fall away and there are certain pockets that are that have seen a significant drop. But, um, but you know, when you put that broader context as well, I think it just shows that there's many people in the market that will have no concerns whatsoever because debt is low um, and the interest rates, you know, won't even bother them. And, and as long as they keep their job and the labour market strong, they'll be fine as well. So, yeah, I just think it's an interesting swing on it, you know, given things have turned to the negative, rightly so, um, that this, this report's a timely one to probably put it into some context anyway. So I know we might touch a bit more on, on your, your article you wrote last week, um, but that one there I just thought was quite relevant to, to put in that, that same um, period anyway. Yep, nice one. Yeah, the, um, I mean, the, the point about that low LVR across the market as a whole is that, yep, lots of people have got equity, but you know, say from a regulator's perspective or the Reserve Bank's perspective, it's that 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 um, group of people, those group of borrowers where the debt is concentrated, you know, those recent borrowers have bought at a low deposit, uh, high debt to income ratio, you know, seen interest rates rise sharply. So there's, yes, lots of people have lots of equity, but then there's a concentration of debt. And that's where, I suppose, from the regulator's perspective, that the concerns come in. So, um, yeah, there's, there's always two sides. 
Oh, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the right thing, you know, because we do need to protect those that are most vulnerable. Um, and those recent entrants, of course, are those ones. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, all right, mate. Well, the other big, well, really big piece of news, of course, last week, maybe not so much for the property market, but does take a lot of space in the media, was, of course, the government releasing their budget for 2022-23, I suppose. Um, and look, we, we talked about it last week that we weren't expecting too much from a housing perspective. In the end, we got a little bit from the budget, um, mostly around um, the ditching of caps for first home loan, um, which is where you only need a 5% deposit with it backed by a kind order. So those caps have been ditched in terms of the properties you can buy when you get that 5% loan. Um, and that means that you know there's people that might have otherwise had a low deposit that would have been in the overall speed limits of Reserve Bank, they could now go exempt once you use the first home loan. So it could open up a little bit extra for other people that aren't, can't get the first home loan, but don't have the 20% deposit. So that's one interesting, I think, flow on from that change. Um, the other one, of course, was the increase to the caps for the first home grant. So this is where essentially you can get a contribution from the government towards your deposit, up to 10 grand for a new build, five grand for an existing property, depending on how long you've been um, in your KiwiSaver for. Um, so I think the increase is obviously sensible to these, to these caps, but again, it's still mostly below the lower quartile of all properties in the areas um, which they stipulate the, the figure for. Um, it will of course increase the number of eligible properties. So yep, course it's going to mean that there'll be more of these grants used from people there's other eligibility criteria of course not just the price of the house so there'll be more people obviously able to to get a property under that grant but we don't expect it to be a massive you know and see a massive increase in the number of people eligible and, and going out and using this and see a massive lift to demand either um so those are the, that's the key thing from a housing perspective the other thing that's going to mention was of course that uh, good to see the CoreLogic house price index once again trusted um, you know by those government agencies as a measure as the main measure for house prices over time and of course as the base for the forecast from the reserve uh, from the treasury as well so that was a nice one to see when it's in those you know those, those big technical budgetary documents um but yeah I, I don't know. Do you want to pick up on anything in terms of the main figures around how many extra loans they expect from this? And just, you know, I mean, I've sort of talked about that we don't expect it to create a massive jump in demand to, to address or arrest the slide in property values. But your take on the budget, those changes, mate, not that significant from your perspective either? Yeah, I suppose a couple of things I had. One is you know, great, great that. Uh, for those people who were perhaps on the margins who can now get their first home, you know, that's that's got to be a good thing. We, we want people into their, their first houses. And so that's that's great. Um, so really good for them. As you say, some some queries, I guess, still around, well, where, where do the caps sit in relation to prices? You know, the, the, it might not open up that many opportunities for people in, in some areas. Um, but also, yeah, this, this preference still for new builds. So the caps are higher for new builds versus existing properties. So, you know, it can give people more access to that, to that new build market. So that's sort of interesting from that wider government policy perspective. Everything has a new build angle to it. So that's, that's really interesting to see. And um, yeah, in terms of the overall impact, well, like I say, great for those people, but, you know, still got to be able to meet the bank lending criteria around serviceability, still afford the mortgage rates. So there's, there's, there's a market um check or limit or whatever you want to call it there it's, it's not just sort of free for all there's there's a lot of other criteria too so that's kind of why i think you know it may not make a, a huge difference in the end great for those people 
but you know the bank serviceability tests haven't changed so the mortgage rates haven't changed so you know, that's still a restraint on activity and um yeah i mean you made the comment last week about around that new build thing well sure the, you know the caps for those for those grants might be higher for new builds but so yeah people are going to want to get want to go to new builds there's this concern there about you know developers falling over and you you know you get your house almost to completion and the developer fails and, and where are you left then with a sort of messy um legal process or trying to find somebody else to finish it off what does that cost you so yeah there's there's some issues coming in there it's it's ironic that you know in a boom and in a really you would think healthy period for construction activity and, and the firms in that sector that it's where you actually start to see some problems so um so yeah a few few extra bits and pieces there yeah absolutely yeah i mean any other thing from the um from the budget of course and and you know as we suspected it was all about you know how they support the the, the rising cost of living um, you know the health perspective of course as well and climate change and i think that did come through in the budget from the from the broader economic perspective, Calvin, look, I think the key question from me, and I think this has you know been been asked a lot from opposition and, and other media organisations, you know, of course, when you pump up a lot of money, and, and the big thing was this extra payment going towards lower or low to middle income earners, and this extra payment to help with the rising cost of living. But how much of an inflationary pressure does that bring, right? And we're obviously concerned with inflation right now because we know that the thing to fight inflation is to lift interest rates. And we'll talk about that shortly from a Reserve Bank perspective. But, you know, pumping more money into the economy, and we know that the lower income earners tend to spend every little cent they get. So that just goes back into the economy. So as that's probably a valid concern, right, is that we see more money flow into the economy, get spent pushes inflation even more, which puts more pressure on the OCR increasing further. Is that is that fair? And do you have any more broader um, feels for all the rest of the stuff that was announced in the budget um, and just the economic impact that it might have uh, from a broader perspective? Yeah, I don't have too much to add on top of that. I spend all my time thinking about property that the wider sort of economic stuff goes, goes past me really. But yeah, I mean, absolutely lower to, to middle income households do spend you know that's they have to you know that any spending takes up a higher proportion of income so the ability to even try to save is reduced so you know any money coming in needs to go back out and so you know just simply pumping cash into those households will it'll just be turned around straight away and, and re-spent so I think it, it will add to spending in the economy. It will add to a bit of that inflationary pressure. So, so yeah, it, it certainly won't go the other way. It's certainly not going to undermine inflation, put it that way. So, yep, a little bit more pressure there. Um, I mean, tricky position for the government, I guess, in the sense that um, yeah, inflation is the big problem. What do you do about it? Well, you try and make things easier for people, give them a bit of cash, and, and it just... Um, you know, bolsters inflation. So, yeah, tricky position. I mean, things like um, tax cuts for for lower and income, uh, lower and middle income households. It's, you know, you got that bureaucracy thing. How do you uh, put it in position? How do you how do you do it? How do you enforce it? And so, you know, it's probably a reasonably straightforward solution from the government's perspective. Um, but but yeah, you would think there'd be some inflationary pressures and. Um, they're almost unavoidable in some senses. I mean, the petrol tax uh, or the excise cut, you know, being to, uh, extended out a bit more as well, that'll that'll help those households too. Of course, it, that affects everybody. So, um, you know, it has uh, wider benefits for perhaps people who didn't need it as much. Um, but, yeah, certainly it's it's um, there's going to be a bit of inflationary pressure there. I mean, I think the bigger thing probably is, and it started to come through perhaps just a little bit after the budget the last couple of days, is how... 
uh, you know, there wasn't much around this this increased spending limit for the for the government there, and how fear, this feeling that they are holding it back for election year, you know, which might be um, sort of sneaky politics, maybe it's it's conspiracy theories, but you know, election year next year, uh, there's a feeling that there's a bit of a war chest there now with the increased uh, debt limits. So uh, I don't know, we 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 could be poised for something bigger next year. I suppose that's in some sense is a bit of a holding budget and and see how it looks next year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I picked up on that one from um, certainly Bernard Hickey's coverage. And yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's no doubt there's a bit of politics from both sides, right? Um, you know, National was obviously always going to be critical of no matter what the decision was. And, and as you say, I think Labour in their own way are also playing the political game and, and no doubt looking towards next year and saying, how do we get re-elected? And as you say, maybe that's one way is to, to hold a little back now, do more next year when it's fresher in people's minds and um, they can be the saviour of whatever the big problem is next year, which is likely to, I suppose, still be strong inflation and cost of living is not going to reduce by then. So, you know, how do they address that next year with, with even more money? So, look, interesting one to see play out. As you said, there's plenty of politics being played here. Uh, and that's why, you know, it's we try and find the neutrality in it um, and, you know, and, and, get, and get away from those games. But um, that can be a little bit difficult sometimes as well. Um, but, yeah, interesting nonetheless. Um, and as I say, from a property perspective, certainly all around those lifting those caps. I do wonder about, you know, they basically should, should have some sort of measure of saying, you know, pin it to whatever, whether it's the lo- a lower quartile uh, where the cap should be and let it be dynamic and change over time. They've obviously got their own measure of that, so they could do that. Or then you could say it could be the, you know, 10th percentile, 20th percentile, whatever, 15th percentile, and just say it needs to be pinned at that so they know that the bottom 15% of properties over time should be accessible to anyone getting the first-time grant, you know, and just and just have that tracking along the whole time. Um, but I'm sure there's some complexity with doing that and the eligibility criteria. So, you know, I know it's never that simple, but um, it's just a little bit confusing when they say it's it's got something to do with the lower quartile, but it's definitely not at the lower quartile, that's for sure. So anyway, we'll move on from that. And um, yeah, in terms of the spending side of things, I suppose this does tie into the New Zealand Activity Index, which of course is that faster measure of what's happening in the economy. And I know that the figure slowed again in April, and there's obviously potential, you know, definitely discussions now around about a potential recession coming. I do wonder about, again, when we flip back to this money being pumped back through the economy, maybe that will also push our economy to expand a little bit more and save us from a bit of recession, but of course it will have the inflationary pressures. And again, this probably just talks to this massive balancing act that has to be done here with you know keeping the economy going well, watching inflation, and uh, and ensuring that the labour market stays strong as well. So yeah, I don't know if you want, you want to talk about the NZ activity index as a measure of GDP, of course, and um, but maybe there's not too much to be said either. But yeah, what, what's your take on that data that came out last week, Calvin? Yeah, well, it, I mean, the figure itself was slowing again, which we had sort of thought would be the case. Um, so a- April's number was down at 1.2%. That's an annual change from April last year. Uh, had previously been 1.6% and, and a bit higher than that in the previous months too. So, so yeah, there is there's some evidence coming through here, certainly a slowdown on that NZAC, which is that, that timely measure of, of overall economic momentum. Um, so it got to be a concern. You know, there is a bit bit of chat coming through now about possible recession, especially with business confidence still low, consumer confidence low. There's a there's a bunch of things going on. So, you know, I suppose the last thing that would sort of complete that slightly um, unfortunate puzzle might be, you know, some job cuts. If we start to see actual unemployment start to rise, then you'd have to be 
getting pretty serious about a recession, which would be just terrible timing in the sense that we also need interest rates to keep going up. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's certainly some concerns out there and we just have to, have to keep an eye on it. So that's your stagflation situation, or is it even worse, I suppose? It's not a stagnant economy. If it's an economy going backwards at the time of inflation, that really is a bad situation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I suppose, you know, stagnant and that stagflation where it is, is a little bit broad, it's, it's sort of flat economy to falling economy. So it, right. it probably does encapsulate that, that just weak economy. So, um, but yeah, it's got to be a concern and, and would flow through to, to property. It can't be great for property either in the sense that, you know, mortgage rates going up at the same time as people possibly losing jobs, which we've, we've talked about before. So certainly relevant for property and we'll have to, you know, keep an eye on it. Yeah, 100% we'll definitely do that. Um, cool, mate. Well, looking uh, at the data released last week, of course, Reserve Bank lending data, specifically around the debt to income um, lending that's done. What's your take on the figures there, mate? Was there anything interesting that popped up from that? Yeah, I think these were really interesting from a from a you know housing analyst perspective. So the you know, we know that the debt to income ratio rules officially from the Reserve Bank have been pushed out for at least a year if required. Uh, it could be longer. Now the debt to the high debt to income lending is actually tailing off without those rules. So the banks have haven't are enforcing their own rules. Things have, are, are naturally tailing off tailing off even without the Reserve Bank doing anything. So. Um, for example, if you look at um, first-home buyers, and, and yeah, there's, there's differences about what you might class as high DTI, but the numbers the Reserve Bank tends to use is loans above seven, let's say, for a first-home buyer. That share has fallen from 9% in December to 5% now. So, you know, it's naturally coming down for first-home buyers, even without the Reserve Bank actually doing anything. I mean, I've talked about it, you know, maybe that's enough. And for investors, that high DTI share is now it's still very high. It was 54% in December, down to 48% now. So, you know, it's come down as well. Now, a lot higher for investors than first-time buyers, but it's coming down. So, yeah, this, the Reserve, I'd say the Reserve Bank would look at these numbers and go, yep, that's, that's great. That's what we're wanting to see. And, um, you know, you expect it maybe to tail off even further in the coming months. I mean, it's one thing. The banks have their own rules, but borrowers themselves feeling more nervous. Well, do I really want a loan that size in relation to my income? So it's, I think this has got to be a good thing that is naturally tailing off. Yeah, but also the impact of rising interest rates, right? Not only the interest rate you secure, but those test rates going up that say you need to be able to satisfy, you could pay this loan at 7.35% or whatever they are at different banks. You then start to go, well, actually, no, I can't afford a loan that's more than seven times my income, especially for first home buyers, maybe, um, who don't have the, you know, haven't, haven't had the earnings power just yet. Maybe that's to come in the future of their life. Um, but at their current income level, they wouldn't be able to afford to borrow that the level of money that they could, like I say, back in November or December. So I suppose that's the that's the other constraint on it, um, as well as, like you say, the bank's own rules where we know that some of them did say they would limit or stop lending to people where they are going over seven times their income. So that's certainly going to be, be part of it as well. And for investors, we know that their borrowing power is reduced too by the fact that they can't write off their interest costs and the bank started to adjust for the fact that, okay, you're not going to be able to you know, borrow the same amount because we know that the costs are going to increase on you. So they tail back on that one too. And, and maybe that drop away, you know, 54 to 48, maybe isn't as significant as I maybe would have expected um, based on some of those changes, even without, like you say, the official the official limits coming in. So certainly, like you say, one to watch, the Reserve Bank will be 
probably pleased to see those results drop away. Um, but so many factors influencing it too that uh, it's hard to know which one will have the most impact. But um, yeah, certainly all those things will be weighing into it and uh, and and we're seeing that reduction. But probably like I say, ultimate upshot is less likely to see the limits come in um, at any stage in the future anyway. As I said, it's been pushed back anyway. Um, but by the time we get to next year, you'd imagine those numbers will fall in further as well. And so, you know, there'll be even less need for, for the limits to come in from an official perspective from Reserve Bank. Yep, for sure. And just to reiterate that, looking at it in the meantime and, you know, putting that framework in place, just that, um, you know, might not be needed in this cycle, but you'd have to think at some point. So, you know, longer term, I'd be preparing for that, but maybe just not in the next year or two. Yeah, and I suppose that's the key point, right? They're, they're getting the data so that they can make an informed decision. Um, and even if they do end up bringing in the limits, maybe they'll just have less of an impact because, you know, the, the lending will already be below the limits they propose. And it'll be more about protecting the market in the future as opposed to having any immediate influence, which probably won't be required depending on how things play out, of course, as well. So it will be about like safeguarding for the future or something like that, as opposed to, you know, needing to have an influence right now because the market started to adjust for it anyway. And I still still sort of maintain that position that they might bring in the DTIs. Maybe they'll lessen impact because we see this reduction in lending at those levels, but they will also loosen the LVRs maybe at some stage in the future too. So I do think that's one thing. We'll wait and see where it plays out anyway. Um, but that lending, you know, that lending, you know, restrictions is always one that's open to, to change in the future. The Reserve Bank have not been one to sit on their hands and just have one rule for one for any time. Um, they're certainly happy to adjust those as required, and I think that'll certainly happen in the future anyway. Yeah, for sure. Cool, man. Hey, well, um, we'll probably get pretty close to wrapping up. I did want to spend a bit of time. We had a, an, an awesome email from um, a guy called Adam who got in touch with us. Now, Adam actually got a hold of me probably a couple of months ago and had some really strong anecdotal anecdata, as he called it, evidence on, you know, how much the market had dropped, you know, in the first couple of months of this year. And we had a really interesting discussion back and forth. And I remember him saying, you know, he was saying my experience, he was actively buying in the market or trying to buy in the market, that, you know, prices had dropped up to, you know, 20% in the areas he was looking in Auckland at that point in time from that November peak. And of course, I said at the time, look, no doubt that parts of the market will have, will have dropped this far. Um, but of course, there were still other parts of Auckland, which has still seen some growth in the market too. So I was certainly wary to say the whole market had dropped by that much. But I think that, you know, there's now gathering evidence. And we talked about it last week with, you know, Auckland, according to the Ryan's House Price Index, down by, you know, what was it, 12 to 14% um, in Auckland City itself. So, you know, there's certainly strong evidence that, that the market has shifted you know, much more than maybe we had thought at the start of April, um, maybe not quite as much as some of the market that Adam had seen himself, but certainly really interesting. And I think, you know, what was a really interesting conversation, and once again, thanks Adam for getting in touch both a couple of months ago and the follow-up last week, was to, you know, he did mention, you know, he, he certainly praised us for our neutrality of the market and trying to be independent of what's going on and call it for what it is. But we also do wait for some strong evidence before calling anything too early too. So maybe that holds us back sometimes. So I'll probably acknowledge that one myself. Um, but I think the key thing here was, you know, the amount of work that Adam was putting in um, and, and, his, and his, his partner too, to really understand what was going on in the market. And that's one thing I certainly praised him for was to say, you know, if you are active in the market, no one or nothing is going to be able to give you the information or the detail that you require for what you are going to base your decisions upon. And he's really gone to an incredible level of data collection in terms of, you know, really tracking what's going on from recent sales, going to auctions, 
you know, hounding agents for when they've got a property for sale and finding out what it sells for and then tracking that as it compares to maybe a CV or maybe an AVM where it was six months ago or whatever and really using all that information to get a feel for what was happening in the market that he was interested in. And that was really helping him to make an informed decision, which was he can, he can hold on for a bit longer because he can see the market's fallen away considerably and that market momentum is likely to continue for a bit longer too. So, you know, I think that for me, the biggest lesson here was Absolutely. If you are active in the market, you're buying, go and get that information. You know, you nothing's going to beat your own experience, what you value in the market, how you price a three-bedroom compared to a four-bedroom or a certain location compared to another one. You're the one that's going to be able to get that read. And the only way you can do that is by gathering data and information yourself, um, not relying on some high-level statistics, which, you know, all the indices, as good as they are, they're all at Auckland level or Wellington level. They're never going to be able to get down to that, you know, close suburb or property type level that you can get if you're looking yourself. So, you know, the, the big thing really has to be about, you know, praising the effort. You know, it is worth doing. You know, you're buying a multi-million dollar property in many in some cases, and uh, you don't want to do that on a whim or based on the commentary from a couple of people or um, some stats which are at a much higher level than what you're looking at yourself when you're looking at individual properties. So, look, I firstly just want to acknowledge that, all that effort. I'd certainly say for anyone else listening, you know, if you are going to go buy a property, I would always say go and gather the information, the data. I would say that. I'm a data geek. I'm, a, I'm an analyst by trade. You know, I want all the information at hand to make that smart decision. So, certainly say, totally agree. Do all the work. It's a great lesson from the work that Adam's done in his own case, um, and certainly many other people could could learn from that as well. The other one, as I mentioned, there's there's a discussion around you know who you talk to, who you get your information from, and making sure that there's maybe not so much bias in the conversation that might be happening from certain areas. And and Adam's point from his experience was that some agents you know will just go to the nth degree to try and find the positive in the market to the point where some will say the market hasn't dropped. Now, I'm not saying that all agents will be saying that. There'll be some that might not, you know, maybe provide the full truth. Um, that's certainly the case from Adam's experience. But I do think there's a number of good agents out there who are absolutely honest about where the market is at and will use that to help buyers and sellers come to an agreement as well to ensure that those sellers, those vendors are adjusting their expectations because the market has dropped and you can't get away from, you know, some of those statistics out there as well. So certainly acknowledge the fact that when you're talking to someone, if you're active in the market, Make sure you try and understand what is their take on the market and why might that be? Are they biased? Is there a reason they're going to try and talk it one way or the other? Or can we actually accept that they might be purely independent of what's going on right now, in which case you can trust their advice a little bit more as well? And so I do think it's worthwhile acknowledging that, you know, agents, of course, how are they incentivized? It is through getting a sale, getting a fast sales, obviously better for them. And of course, getting the higher price sales better for them too. So they are there to get the best price for the vendor. And so make sure you take that into account when, when listening to um, an agent and their experience or their advice as to what's going on in the market. So I think that's the other um, big lesson from, from Adam's note to me as well. So once again, I wanted to make sure that was through there. And, and the other one that you know Adam really wanted to press home was that you know what, what we want to see here is more transparency of data and the publication of recent sales. And look, I couldn't agree more. Once again, from a data perspective, I want hold of the data as soon as possible. I suppose there's one recognition here that needs to be the sale cannot be released until that sale, that property has gone unconditional. You know, if you do it, it's still conditional. There's still other people who might see that sale price. They can come over the top and then offer some more. And you get a really difficult process there where that's not fair on the person who's who's got that um, offer accepted. Might be some conditions. They need that chance to 
finish off their due diligence, whether it's to get finance, whether it's to get a builder's report, whatever it might be. But until that sale is unconditional, it really cannot be released. Once it's unconditional, I agree that should be published to public as soon as possible. And certainly that's something that we work on. We've got our own recent sales capture program. Our recent sale capture is getting better and better and better by the week as we've got um, you know, more uh, official sources of data coming straight to us. And we do publish that um, on our website as well. So propertyvalue.co.nz, most of that information is all freely available as soon as it turns up in our database as well. And as I said, it's only getting better. And then it feeds our AVM. Our AVM is, of course, getting better, our automated valuation model, which is relied upon by the banks, the lenders, to ensure that it's as accurate as possible for their lending decisions too. So look, I couldn't agree more about that data becoming public as soon as possible. We then use that data, of course, in our models, and that flows through. But from a public perspective, of course, that data in the hands of more people um, should, should happen more frequently as well. And we're certainly happy to fight for the for the you know, public release of that data as well, I think, from our perspective. So, um, yeah, look, I just think there's, there's three key points that Adam wanted to get across. It was, you know, make sure you do your own due diligence. And, and that's right at the data level when you're looking for a property. You know, be cautious around who you're listening to when you're making decisions in the market. And, of course, getting that public data, that data, that public sales data, sorry, public as soon as possible and couldn't agree more on that one. So, look, Adam, I want to say thanks very much for getting in touch. The detail you've gone through, the level of the information in your email, hopefully I've done it justice. Certainly keen to hear back from you, mate. And um, yeah, just want to say, keep it up and let us know how you get on to with your experience um, with, with trying to buy a property in this market too. Obviously, you haven't got the pressure of having to buy too soon. So um, that's that's a good situation for you to be in, but uh, certainly best of luck with where that's going to go in the future. Appreciate you sending through some great points. And uh, as I say, hope we've done it justice. Calvin, you did also get a chance to read the email. Is there anything I've missed out or anything you want to pick up on before we um, look ahead to this week and, and move on? I suppose just to reiterate, I mean, a staggering level of analysis he was doing. I mean, I was joking, I probably wouldn't even do it myself, you know, and, and I'm kind of in the industry. So, um, yeah, pretty impressive. And, and secondly, I mean, it's always in the back of my mind doing this job is that, you know, nobody buys the average. We, we talk about averages and we talk about medians because you have to, but nobody does that. You buy an individual property, it's got an individual address, it's got, you know, individual characteristics. So it's so many different characteristics. So that's in the end... You know, only the purchaser or the would-be purchaser is going to know all of that. And, and so, you, you know, there is individual responsibility here, you know, to, to do all your research because averages will only tell you, you know, a little bit really about that buying decision. So, um, yeah, it, it was good to have that sort of reinforced. Yeah, no, good good call. Um, all right, mate, well, we'll quickly move on. Well, try, try to wrap up now. Um, I, I mentioned earlier, of course, your Did You Know article from last week, one of those being the, the low LVR position of the overall property market. Do you want to just run us over the four high-level other Did You Know points? I'll put a link to the article anyway. As I said earlier, we do, we generally talk about this, you and I, so hopefully listeners are generally aware of these things. But give us a quick rundown of that, and then we'll briefly talk about the monetary policy statement, which is coming up this week, including the OCR, and then we can uh, get on out of here, mate. But, yeah, what was the what was the uh, the four things in the article? Yeah, so number one, the number of loans being written is very low. So, you know, this is the number. It's not the value of lending, which is still quite high, but the value of lending is flattered by average property values having gone up. So, you know, just note when you're talking about the number of loans, it's actually pretty low. So that, that market out there is quite quiet. Uh, number two was just this mechanics around the listing situation. So we know there's a lot more properties on the market, 
And there's this casual assumption that people have as well. There's, there's a whole bunch of new listings and that's pushing up the total stock. Actually not true. New listings are just ticking along for the time of year as they normally do. That stock on the market has been boosted by the fact that sales have slowed down. So that's the, the sort of mechanics behind that point. It's due to sales, not new listings. Uh, the, the LVR we've covered off. First home buyers, the, the third point here of, of this little segment, they don't always enter at the bottom rung. This assumption that first home buyers start at the bottom, buy the cheapest property possible and work their way up. Not true. There's a lot of first home buyers actually get in sort of halfway up the market. You know, they're, they're buying it at middle tiers. So um, keep that in mind too. And I think this is really important. There's a lot of new dwelling consents going on at the moment. But don't forget the new dwelling consents are not the same as a change in the housing stock. We know that some consents don't get built. We're also demolishing properties to allow these new houses. So the change in the housing stock is actually a lot smaller than what we're seeing in new dwelling consents. So keep that in mind too. Yes, we're getting a big change in the stock as well, for sure. And we're adding properties, that's great. But it's smaller than what consents would tell you. So, yep, those are the three or four points. I suppose that's the key one for when people are estimating our fall, our shortfall of properties or whether we're eating into the deficit that's been created. It's just, you know, it's obviously improving, but it's not quite as great as maybe some of the estimates are out there because the building consents aren't all turning into, you know, an increase in that stock by one. So, yeah, I think that's, um, that's another great one to finish on. All right, mate. And then, of course, pretty big release this week. Almost no doubt about what's going to happen to the OCR, which means maybe the Reserve Bank springs a surprise. Who knows? But um, yeah, run us through your kind of preview of the monetary policy statement coming out at two o'clock this Wednesday, Calvin. Yeah, so our economists are unanimous that the OCR will go up by half a percent on Wednesday. So lots of jokes now that, well, doesn't that mean it won't go up by half a percent? Um, so, but I mean, yeah, I, I go along with that. It just looks, it just looks pretty much guaranteed. And, and in some ways, the Reserve Bank will have to deliver on that because it's so well expected that if they didn't, it would, it would, you know, perhaps cause undue disruption. So, um, so I'd probably look out for that half percent increase on Wednesday. It'll take it to two percent uh, level we haven't seen for almost approaching six years now. So it's, you know, it's getting. It might still seem pretty low, but it's getting up there in terms of our recent history. Uh, there'll be detail, full monetary policy statement that we detail around projections, which probably will be a lot of focus from commentators, more than the actual decision itself will be what they're saying about future path for the economy, for house prices, for the OCR itself. And, you know, that's where perhaps the impact could come if they uh, project a higher endpoint for the OCR, a lower one, um, a, fuss, a sooner endpoint, you know, all these things will, will matter. So that's what people will be looking for. Uh, what it means for mortgage rates, well, in the end, I mean, probably not a lot. You know, everybody knows the OCR is going to keep going up, um, you know, at, at this kind of speed. It's, it's almost baked in the cake, as, as people were saying. So it may not mean all that much, but that still means higher interest rates. You know, everybody's expecting higher interest rates. That's that's where we're going. Um, on the plus side, for, for borrowers at least, we're, we're probably closer to that end point for mortgage rates than the start. So that's that's one silver lining. But, you know, look for another OCR increase and, and further pressure on mortgage rates over that six to 12-month horizon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, like I said, I think the key thing for me is those projections. You know, I, I guess they'll also include, you know, detail from the budget last week too. So the Reserve Bank will no doubt have had that data to incorporate and where they, where they expect the economy to go, the housing market, interest rates, all those things. So, yeah, no doubt that'll be me quickly flicking through and finding the charts. It always draws my eyes and so I'll be looking for those ones. 
Um, for the rest of the week, mate, I know we've got April lending figures coming from Reserve Bank too. Um, expecting those to be weak. Again, we're going to look for the LVR data, you know, see what's happening there. You know, we know there's a bit of room to move, but not expecting it to jump too far. May consumer confidence data too, which I know was, you know, jumped a little bit last month, but probably expecting to be relatively weak. And then we've talked about the labour market, the importance of that. We've got April full jobs coming up too. So those are the other ones looking up this week. Um, anything you want to touch on with those or your expectations around that before we properly close off today, Calvin? I suppose just on the consumer confidence and field jobs, I mean, these are these are a couple of pretty key data series, I think, in addition to that, perhaps NZAC, you know, just of that real-time indicator of, of where we're going. And especially if if there are some job losses to come, we might just be starting to see that coming through and, and field jobs. So, you know, I'd, I'd really be looking out for these these data series at the end of the week, confidence and, and jobs. I think this will tell us a lot about, about where we go in the short term economically or for the economy and for the property market. So, um, yeah, key series. Bloody intriguing times, mate. Loving it. All right, mate. Well, uh, thanks very much. Great to have some decent chat today. I know we've gone a little bit uh, over our usual time, but I think it was all worthwhile discussion. So thanks very much for your thoughts. Thank you very much for listening. Please do hit subscribe and that auto-download button so you get the automatic um, delivery of the new podcast into your podcast player. Feel free to like Adam, get in touch with us. We love those detailed emails, hearing those stories from the front line. Um, we are available on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and um, our email address is also sitting within the show notes. So please do fire through some uh, some feedback and thoughts to us when you when you get a chance. Um, just like to say thanks very much. My name is Nick. He's Calvin. You've been listening to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast. Matiwa. Mm-hmm.